umgoblue.com. By fans, for fans, since 1999. Hello, welcome to the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with... Clint Derringer. And we're going to talk about Michigan's 38-21 loss to the Indiana Hoosiers. Well, Clint, what are your initial thoughts on that uh, pretty brutal game that we saw? Yeah, I think we've... I saw that game going in as kind of pivotal, right? We had seen a, a very good performance in week one and a very bad performance in week two. So, okay, so let's ride the fence here and see which direction uh, the team is going to go in terms of performance. And uh, it was another bad performance. Um, not everything was bad, right? There, There is some, some nuance and some stuff to talk about, but in the grand scheme of things compared to what we uh, – we're hoping for going into the season or expectations going into that game. Um, it was a poor performance. Indiana outplayed Michigan um, in, in nearly every facet, if not, you know, absolutely every facet. So uh, with it being pivotal and then getting more evidence on the, the side of, of just being uh, a, an, a low performance team, it was a, uh, it was disheartening for sure. You know, losses are tough to take. Um, sometimes a, a a heartbreaking loss or a blowout loss. You know, we've we've had a little bit of experience with, but these last two weeks of middling, just you just got outplayed and lost by, you know, about what it's you know that's exactly what it felt like was a a one score loss last week and a three score loss this week. Um, it's uh, it's kind of death by a thousand cuts right now, it feels like. The interesting thing for me in breaking down the game tape, and, you know, I, I've talked about my process, so I will watch the game in real time and, of course, tweet and, and you know, analyze it. But I really try to set aside my disappointment and, you know, I will watch the game again I will turn the volume down because, you know, I try not to be influenced by the announcers and I try to forget that I know how the game's going to turn out. You know, I try to do like a clean take, really concentrate, you know, not divide my attention between, you know, live tweeting and, and commenting, you know, throughout the game. And so my initial take was it, it didn't feel as bad on the rewatch as it did you know, there are definitely some things that were, that were good, but, you know, I think your comment of death by a thousand cuts, right? It wasn't just one play. It wasn't just one breakdown. It was multiple. And unfortunately, when things are going against you, you know, going against a team, those kind of things happen. And, and, it, and it seems like it's snowballing. So, you know, I think uh, the thing that really jumped out to me is, you know, we found out prior to the game that, there was going to be a shakeup on the Michigan offensive line. And that is the absolute last thing that you need when you are, um, you know, struggling, right? I mean, you have a young offensive line and you lost arguably your two most experienced guys. And then you had to shuffle positions around, right? So, you know, we found out that Ryan Hayes was out, um, and you look at that, and again, that's one of your one of your key guys up there. And you just you just look, and 
you know, that that really it did not bode well, right? For for things uh and and again, I I tried to remember, oh, just watch the game live, but you know, you could definitely see that the offensive line was struggling to um to protect and to block and it was evident right out of the gate. Yeah, we we talked last uh, or at the preview um podcast a little bit about on the defensive side if michael barrett was out it would kind of hurt your depth in two spots because he was your backup in the middle and on offense we saw it actually come to fruition with with mayfield not able to play they bumped out andrew stuber from right guard to right tackle so now he was in a different position than he has been the first two games and you had his backup at right guard you had uh, Hayes out at left tackle, so his backup was in there. Um, so a total shuffle uh, of you know sixty or eighty percent of your offensive line uh, in a time that you really that really needed continuity. Um, I agree with you, and even more specifically, I really thought that Michigan would be able to have some success running the ball because they would start to try to attack the edges, and then you lost your your tackles, right? Your your lead your main guys there on the, uh, on the edges in terms of point of attack blocking. So that even opportunity that, that I was, you know, trying to, trying to kind of hone in on. And I wanted to see, like you said, when we heard instantly that the tackles were, were not going to be the normal starting tackles, um, you kind of go, well, that there goes that, that idea. So, um, they were still able to have some success through the air. Again, Joe, Joe Milton went over 300 yards again. Um, there was uh, more bad in this game than we've seen out of Joe Milton in terms of decision-making, and he did turn the ball over a couple times. But um, the, the inability to run the ball with that much shakeup on the offensive line, you know, that's uh, it's a recipe for disaster. So I, I wouldn't say that yesterday was a disaster, but – um, they were going to have to play absolutely mistake-free and, and really get uh, outstanding performances from some guys that are further down the depth chart, and that didn't happen. And uh, Indiana really controlled the line of scrimmage uh, when Michigan had the ball. Well, and then you had another problem, another guy out on the defense, right? You had Aiden Hutchinson go out, shook up. So you go from your offensive line is is jumbled, right? And then what you believe is the strength of your defense, you lose one of your your main starters, one of your main mainstays on the defensive line. So it really was well, you know, what else is going to go wrong here, right? So again, you know, knowing the situation, you try to I try to watch the game kind of in a vacuum, but when you hear two new offensive line starters, and again, nothing against the guys who filled in, but again, uh, you know the the thing that Michigan is experiencing is even the backups are really young, right? You you really have a really young group on the offensive line, so uh, when you lose, you know, arguably your your best offensive lineman, you know, he's out, you know, with Jalen Mayfield, and you bring in guys who are who are super super young, right? And and again, their game they're going to play as hard as they can, but you know, you have a situation there. And then 
um, you lose one of your top defensive starters. So uh, you could kind of see, you could kind of see the dominoes going right. Like, okay, everything's kind of you know coming up against Michigan here, um, and and I think it's it's really reflected in the stats, right? I mean, you have Michigan ran for thirteen yards the entire game, and it's interesting because really when you go through the stats, right? I mean, we're going to go through the SP plus things, but just when you look at the flat stats, right? The the stats that are really easy to, to grasp, 13 rushing yards is not a recipe for, for victory against anyone. And especially when you look at, you know, again, we talked about the strength of the offense coming in was, you know, the number of Michigan running backs that they could rotate through. Well, obviously nobody had a great deal of success, you know, if, if you only pulled off 13 yards. Um, you know, the thing that, that struck me too is, you talked about Joe Milton, you know, looking at the passes, I mean, he actually, you know, if you, if you could zero out the interceptions, he didn't have a horrible game and even two interceptions, that's not, you know, that's not uh, fatal. If you, if you can run the ball, if you're, if you're successful in other areas, but not only did he have interceptions, but they were at like the worst critical times where you know Michigan is trying to scratch back and and pull back into the game, so um, really it, it's a uh, a lot of a lot of things going wrong, a lot of things you know up and down you know both sides of the ball. Yeah, I I agree with that. Of course, the uh, <clears throat> the one interception where it looked like uh, Cornelius Johnson was streaking down the left sideline, you know Milton kind of threw that. Um, as if he either expected Johnson to break that route off and, and break inside or stop, or he was trying to throw it kind of back shoulder and get him to stop. He definitely didn't throw that like a fly route. So um, I think that there may have been some miscommunication there uh, on a read. Um, regardless where he threw it, you know, the guy was playing zone, zone defense and was right there. So uh, it would have been a tough catch even if Johnson had broken that route off. Um, it would have been a contested catch at the minimum. So not the best throw. The second interception was kind of a third and long, um, similar to, you know, just throw it down there and hope for the best kind of a 50-50 ball that got picked. Um, uh, one step away from a Hail Mary, right? Uh, so I, I'm the second one I don't really have any qualms with. The first one, I don't think it was as bad as it looked uh, on the television broadcast. Again, I think there was some route issues or miscommunication on one or the other, but still was not a great throw. So uh, Milton was 18 for 34. You know, there, there were some drops that were frustrating. You know, he probably should have had two or three more completions. I remember one drop by Eric Hall that would have definitely been a, a third down conversion right off the top of my head that, that's frustrating. Um, but there was inaccuracy too. You know, the, I, everybody kind of groaned collectively, I think in the Michigan universe when, uh, when Joe Milton missed Ronnie Bell deep down the, the left hash with nobody even in the picture, you know, you just, you, you just got to put that anywhere catchable and let your guy make a play. The only thing you can't do is overthrow it where he doesn't have a chance. So um, 
there was still some still some good, um, but a lot of things that need to get cleaned up. You know, again, some some of this we talked about, kind of expecting from a from a first time first year starter, um, and then we all had our memory wiped that he was a first year starter when he looked sharp and the offense was clicking in the first week. So um, we just got to see him continue to progress. One of the things that I am most encouraged by was that they returned to kind of threatening vertically on offense, right? The the big knock in week two on the offense was that everything, they just tried to copy paste their game plan from Minnesota with all of the screens and short passing game. They definitely pushed the ball down the field. Um, there was a long touchdown down the middle to Cornelius Johnson. It was a great throw and a great catch. So you saw that the the offensive game plan has the capability to stretch it vertically, which should help open things up uh, in the box. But this week, Michigan just didn't have um, what they needed on the offensive line up front to be able to have success. I mean, they, they had an 8% success rate on called run plays. 8%. You know, so it's uh, – some of the stats, and, and most of them are defensive stats that we'll get into in a minute here, but some of the stats, both the flat, raw stat statistics and the five-factor stuff that I try to look at in real time, they were so bad and so eye-popping that it was amazing that Michigan still had a chance to get back into this in the second half and into the fourth quarter. So um, that's not reassuring by any means, but there are – there are things that can get fixed that have to get fixed in order to be able to win football games here. And like we said last week, uh, you don't have time. You don't have time to slowly start edging along and improving these at a slow rate. You've got to, you got to improve quickly. And now you've got to do it with guys that are further down the depth chart in different spots. And that's, that's what you got to do. That's the task that's at hand. You know, they're, those guys are on scholarship too. So you, you got to get out there and make some plays on the offense. And uh, I think Joe Milton will continue to improve, but we need to start seeing some, some leaps forward um, in terms of playmaking. Joe can still clean up some accuracy issues and uh, some other guys have to start making some plays on offense and catching some critical balls, especially on third down. So regarding Joe Milton, you mentioned that play where he missed Ronnie Bell and and it boy it sure looked like he was completely wide open but you know we've talked about and and Josh Gaddish has talked about actually almost everybody on the offense well many people on the offense have made comments about how strong his arm is right but the reality in a case like that you need to put some air under it so that your receiver can run under it you don't need to to hit him you know hit him on the fly perfect and it's frustrating because a big play like that can can switch momentum, and it's just heartbreaking when you have so many things going wrong to, to see that. You know, the other issue that I was thinking when I was watching Joe was, you know, it's remarkable. He really did a pretty good job of passing the ball around among his receivers. And this is one of the things that I think, you know, your, per, your perception can be skewed by um, listening to the commentators, right? They're like, oh, he's locking on to Ronnie Bell. Well, Ronnie Bell had six receptions. 
and everybody else had a lot more, right? I mean, it, it's interesting. You you can, you know, there's no doubt that he locked on him a few times, but he actually distributed the ball pretty well. Um, you know, again, you know, he he had six receptions or he hit Ronnie Bell six times. Well, he, he hit everybody else 12 times, right? So definitely he was distributing the ball. And um, again, it was, there were things to be, hopeful for on the offense and you know especially considering the the pressure he was under due to the offensive line issues there's definitely something to take heart there um you know the other thing I was thinking you know you know on the defensive side of the ball there were times they were so close to making a big interception or making a big play you know specifically there was the one play where Dax Hill broke up the interception uh, you know, he had a chance to make an interception and Brad Hawkins broke it up. Right. And again, those guys are both making plays. They're both doing what you're, you know, what they're coached to do. But when you see it in real time, it's, it's frustrating because, you know, Dax Hill makes that interception. Who knows what happens, right? Who knows how far he goes? So there is a, you know, as you said, a death by a thousand cuts. There were a lot of things going wrong. A lot of things that were just out of sync. And uh, I tell you, I'm I'm concerned because it you know you have a team in Indiana that you know they definitely look good. They're three and zero, but they're not Ohio State, right? They're you know nobody is going to confuse them. And I look at the schedule coming up, and I look at you know again, they you know their quarterback Penix was thirty for fifty, thirty completions. I mean. Can you imagine, you know, I can't imagine what a team like Ohio State is going to do, right? So definitely uh, I think they were trying to take advantage of the issues we were having in the secondary. I think they were taking advantage of, you know, not being able to put pressure on their quarterback. And uh, definitely those things I, I think I'm more concerned with than the individual lapses is, you know, if you can't put pressure on and you can't get to the quarterback, uh, you know, the rest of the schedule gets very, very long. And it's those kind of things I, I, I was concerned at in, in watching the, you know, the playback of the game the second time. Yeah. The, so switching to the defensive side here, a couple things, you know, outside of what we know and was obvious and was the same from the Michigan State game to this game was there were major penalties uh, on defense that provided third down conversions. And not only was it a similar headache to, to last week with, with kind of clutching and grabbing and, and interfering on passes uh, that showed that the corners were struggling in coverage, but uh, yesterday on the third downs that it seemed like they had them stopped, right? That those passes were not good passes. And, and the holding or interference was immaterial to the to the actual play. So w- what that implies is, is just a lack of confidence, you know, psychologically for those players that, oh man, here we go again. I've got to do something to, to break this up, right? Just not not having confidence in their technique or in their position in real time that that it's okay. They're in a good spot that they can play the ball. So um, that that was additionally frustrating, again, uh, to echo what I said last week about those high leverage situations 
where you just need to make a play. They made the plays. They were there, and, and the ball is sailing, you know, incomplete. And, and then the flag comes down, and, and you know you can't really argue it. You're you're, you're grabbing the guy and, and and rattling around and hand fighting more than than is necessary because if you were if you were trying to find the ball at the time and saw that it was you know going to fall incomplete and you got the stop that you needed, then you know you, you don't make those those penalties. So. That was additionally, you know, frustrating. The third down conversion, um, just in general, right? Getting off the field, it's it's really the biggest difference I think in this year's defense um, compared to the previous, you know, Don Brown defenses. I started trying to look year over year at some of the things that are that are different, and I, I'll let you know. The, the first one here, we'll play our uh, favorite guessing game here. How many yards per drive, right, for the opposing offense? So on average, how much do you think the other offense is actually moving uh, for an entire drive? And this includes the, the Minnesota game and, you know, all three games this year. So in 2016, it was 18.6, 20.0 in 17, 25 and 18, 26 and 19. So there's a slide there. Right, we're going from 18.6 up to 26. What do you think we're at in 2020 through three games, yards per drive? Are we in the mid 30s? 39.6. Might as well round it up to 40. So on average, even everything taken into consideration, Michigan's giving up 40 yards of field position average per drive. So even if you start after a touchback, right at the 25, on average you're getting all the way to the opponent to Michigan's 35 yard line and you're at scoring position. That's the difference. That's the difference on average that you're, you're just letting teams move the ball initially. Right. And, and I think last week it was, you know, chuck the ball down the sidelines first half against Indiana, chuck the ball down the sidelines, get bailed out by penalties. Right. So um, they just got it. They have to be able to make, the bigger plays early on um, in first and second down, but the third down conversion rate where they're letting the other team move the sticks, that's something that if they can flip that back just to what they've averaged in the last five years, instantly the the feel of those games changes instantly. So Clint, in your opinion, is there a consistent thing that's failing or what reason is that number going up? Is it something different every time, or is there some kind of trend that, that you can perceive that, you know, what's the one or two things they can fix to get that number back more in line with what they've been able to do previously? For me, it's, it's the havoc plays. It's really causing a lot of pressure on the quarterback and getting him to make bad decisions or, or throw the ball away or, or, be incomplete. Now, yesterday against Penix, they were, I think they were better at getting guys into his face than they were the week before against Lombardi. He completed some of those passes with, with some pressure on there, but there were some that he, you know, duffed down into the turf. There were some that sailed long and wide. And that that's really what Don Brown is trying to do on top of the sacks and potential turnovers his whole mantra on defense is that I'm going to get that clock in the quarterback's head going so fast 
that he's got to throw the ball before he's ready to throw, before the route is, you know, matured enough, before he knows where the right spot to put the ball is. And, and everything is about speeding up that quarterback's timing and ability to be accurate. And he was more – the defense was more successful with that yesterday against Indiana. However, like I said, you know, before, they bailed out the, the receivers with a couple penalties – um, on balls that, that they were actually successful on getting the pressure. So, and they did that without Aiden Hutchinson for, for most of that game. So that, that's the biggest trend, really, that we've seen under Don Brown is when he cannot create the havoc for the other team's quarterback, right? 2018, Dwayne Haskins in Columbus, totally, you know, totally un, uh, unmolested and just tears up the, the defense. You know, and then last year with uh, with Fields, Justin Fields tears him up. The thing is, in the past, it took the Ohio States or, or, or the Saquon Barkley type offenses to to be able to do that to Don Brown's defense. You had to have an elite offense. And, and we griped that Don Brown was good against all these lower level teams. But against the best teams, they're getting exposed. Well, now they're getting exposed against the middle-level teams, right? And, and even the bad teams, right? Michigan State, I still have a hard time saying that that's a good team, um, especially getting blown out yesterday by Iowa. You know, that's that's not a good team. It's, they're, they're mediocre at best, and Michigan is not creating the havoc up front against anybody right now, and that is the problem. Yeah, and that is the depressing thing, right? Because I'm looking, you know, Michigan State got blown out by Iowa, 49 to seven, right? So both those teams are, you know, one and two. They're not great. They're not in great places. And Lombardi threw three interceptions. I mean, he really kind of came back to his his normal level where he was perfect against Michigan. And again, against the Michigan defense, you would expect that that uh, mayhem and and havoc to cause all kinds of problems, but, you know, they were able to firm up and, you know, they looked, you know, they, they gave Michigan everything they could take. And then the very next week they get blown out by Iowa. So one of the things you mentioned was, you know, the penalties, you know, and, and Michigan was penalized eight times for 89 yards. But one of the most frustrating things, I thought it was frustrating watching it the first time, watching it the second time to see how many times the Michigan defense would go off sides and basically give Indiana free play and they took advantage of it. You know, they, they would, they would go downfield and had some huge, huge plays. So I've always wondered, you know, Don Brown's mantra is you solve problems with aggression. And I've always wondered why more teams didn't, uh, you know, alter the count and, and, uh, provoke the defense to going off sides. And I, I assumed that, you know, they had been, uh, you know, trained to be disciplined. Well, boy, whatever discipline they they uh, tried to instill in them yesterday was gone. They were bouncing all over the place. You know, I, I joked during the game, I tweeted, I said, the Michigan's defense, their plan is to go off sides so much that the refs get tired of throwing flags because it, it was like high school level stuff and, and bad high school level stuff. So it, w- it was frustrating to see that, and it, it really, uh, you know, Indiana definitely took advantage of, 
of the the free opportunities that uh, that Michigan provided them. Yeah, for sure. And and all of these things are related. All of these things are related, right? So because your corners are, are struggling right now, um, the Rocky Lombardi last week and, and Michael Penix this week, there was no progression for the quarterback that was necessary, right? It was catch the ball, set your feet, throw deep down the sideline. Well, of course you're not going to get a pass rush on, on, on a play like that that's a quick fade. You know, that, that's why, you know, so so not ha- allowing that to be a successful offensive game plan undercuts your ability to actually create havoc up front. And then because you want to create more havoc up front, you, you press on that. And then those guys are twitching and and, and jumping off sides, uh, you know, so that all of that is related. And your point about the penalties on top of the offsides and the, the pass interference stuff that we've seen, it's. It is the largest outlier compared to the years past, right? And I, I've I've explained to you, but I'll I'll say it again that I kind of look at penalties in terms of how much did the offense get helped or or hurt by penalty calls. So when I look at it, right, the defensive penalties can kind of get offset if if the offense is getting called for holding or if they're jumping off sides too. So it's kind of a plus or minus from the offensive perspective, just like success rate is from the offensive perspective, right? And last year, 2019, the whole year ended up with a net of six yards for opposing offenses compared to defenses. That's that's remarkably clean, remarkably clean. The only thing better was actually 2017 that Michigan actually had an advantage of about nine yards on the whole year for for you know, 13 games so far through three games in 2020, the offense has gained 71 yards in penalty yards, 71. And that's after I take away any penalties that have been called on the offense. So if you were to game that out for a 12 game, right? Regular season, you'd be right around 280 yards. And the worst that we've seen so far was 2018 actually, where we gave, about 170 yards on a whole on a whole year in penalty yardage uh, on the defense. So it's it's like off the charts bad right now in terms of penalties, and that I think is obvious to everybody, right? I think that because you disrupt the game flow and you see everybody's head drop, and and you know that that one's low hanging fruit, but even quantifiably, you are moving the ball down the field at a historic clip right now just because you can't can't make a play without drawing a penalty. So one of the other things that jumped out to me, right, is, okay, so you see the score, 38-21, and you're like, wow, the Indiana offense is rolling, right? Joe Milton threw for more yards than Michael Penix, okay, on 12 fewer passes. So basically Milton threw for 344 yards, and Penix threw for 342. That is like, I mean, spot on, right? The difference was Michigan not being able to run the ball. And when you look at it that way, you know, so again, you're, you know, I'm looking at what's the silver lining here, right? The silver lining is if Michigan can, you know, firm up their offensive line, figure out what's going on there, either get you know, hopefully some players back or that, that, you know, these guys find some rhythm, 
you do see the glimmers of an explosive offense here, okay? And it's interesting because I know that when you see 38-21 and see them struggle, that, that sounds kind of crazy. But the reason they struggle is they couldn't run, okay? And and it's interesting because, you know, you know, listen, I, I think all you know, Blake Corum is great. You know, everybody's talking about his speed, but the guy who looks like the horse to me is Asan Hoskins. Okay. I I I think I would feed him the ball. Okay. And obviously, um, you know, it's one thing if all four backs were rolling and you you want to spread the ball around and find the hot guy. But, you know, you have Chris Evans running for five yards yesterday, Zach Charbonnet running for four, um, Blake Corum was minus three. I know that that he's a, a weapon, you know, as a receiver out of the backfield. But, you know, I think at this point, um, you gotta settle down to one or two guys and 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 just give them a chance to find a rhythm to to start pounding and, and Hassan Hoskins seems like you know the guy I would go with you know from the running back position um, from the receiver position you know Ronnie Bell's the guy and uh, Cornelius Johnson I mean he looked great right so I feel what's funny is you know I always think about what did we know before the season started right and I say no in in air quotes well you know we knew that Michigan was going to have trouble finding receiver targets. Well, you know what? I don't see that as a problem here, okay? I see the ball getting distributed. I see the guys doing well. What did we know? Oh, we're deep at running back. We're going to run like crazy. Well, we're, we're not seeing that. And, and again, it all it's a key of, of what's going on on that offensive line. And if there's anything that I could wave a wand and fix offensively, it's you got to firm up that offensive line. And it might even be... Um, you know, um, you know, this is going to sound crazy, but you almost might have to commit more to the run, even when it's not working in the first half. I mean, offensive linemen love to run block. You need to give them an opportunity to, to find the rhythm, to, to, to get things done. Um, you know, the, the last thing you want to do as a struggling offensive lineman is pass block. But, uh, I, I think that they, they need to shore that up. They need to find some way to run the ball consistently you need to control the clock um, because part of what's happening here is um, you know you have a three and out and you put the defense back on the field right and they're being exposed you know it's kind of a vicious cycle so when I look at um, you know again glimmers from up I'm much more worried defensively um, especially with uh, Aiden Hutchinson being out uh, the word is is that is it's going to be a day-to-day thing they don't know exactly how um, critical that injury is. They're going to be evaluating it moving forward. And again, we still have the issues in the secondary. So, but, you know, if I had to pick what I'm more worried about, I'm more worried about the defense. Um, I, I see the uh, ingredients for a successful recipe on offense. Uh, the defense, especially since it's been so stout over the last couple years. And again, it's like you said, it's one thing to get blown out by Ohio State. It's a Another thing to lose to a Michigan State team that you were favored to win and to, to get spanked pretty good by Indiana here. Yeah, I I think in terms of the run game, I, I had a couple things that I wanted to add. Um, I, I think being successful or having the threat of the run game is still critical. It, it's not the foundation 
bedrock of a successful offense that it used to be in, you know, in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands, but it's still pretty important to be able to move the line of scrimmage and run the ball effectively. One thing that Michigan can do to help increase their success rate on the ground and probably help um, that offensive line out is to try to create numbers advantages with their formations and, and, you know, by adding the quarterback and making the defense account for the quarterback, right? And, and we saw this a little bit in in Minnesota. I think part of getting Joe Milton broken in that first week was was having him tuck the ball and run and be a runner and kind of feel the contact early in the game. And they ran those quarterback powers, those quarterback pin and pull uh, pretty effectively. And then they had a great play-action uh, counterpunch off of it where they faked that quarterback sweep and hit the tight end down the seam. And, uh, you know, Eric all dropped it in week one, but that was a great, great play. Um, I just don't see that quarterback designed run or, or read option stuff enough to make the defense have to account for it. Right. So you can help those linemen out by making the defense account for the quarterback, not just have him hand the ball off you know, repeatedly. So I, I think they can help themselves with that. And also with the formations, right? If, if they pack everything in tight, then you're saying my guys are going to bulldoze your guys. Well, I have a hard time believing that your true freshman right guard and, you know, redshirt freshman left tackle and, and these guys that are the most healthy on the offensive line are going to bulldoze that front from Wisconsin this coming week. So, to me, I, I wish that I, we saw them putting all of those receivers out wide or motioning the running backs out wide, right? Chris Evans and Blake Corum, if those guys are motioning out wide, taking linebackers out of the box with them, you can probably help yourself a little bit more in the run game. So it's something to keep your eye on um, and how Michigan and Josh Gaddis can help themselves in, in terms of that, that run game. And then I, I wanted to also – put a little bit of context into the th this season is crazy right i mean for or um, you know about two months ago you and i were begging you know in some sense to just have a football season right and 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 now we're in the middle of it and it it, it feels really crappy because michigan is not playing well so you know is everybody still happy that there's a season right i i still am at least grateful that that Michigan has been able to, to play football and we have this to talk about. So there's a, a little bit of that. And then I wanted to also bring up something else, you know, Penn state's now 0-3 after getting housed as badly as Michigan got housed by Indiana, Penn state got housed by, by Maryland, you know, the same Maryland team that lost to Minnesota and scored three points against Northwestern. So, it's a crazy, crazy season, and I think, at least for me, I, I did not give enough weight to how much it was going to hurt Michigan to have Nico Collins and Ambry Thomas. They opted out. Um, I, I think I, I assumed that there was the depth was not quite as uh, as thin as what we're seeing now, especially at corner. Um, but I was wrong. You know, and and Penn State 
lost two running backs and, and maybe the best linebacker in the whole conference, and they're 0-3, you know, and I think those two programs, Penn State and Michigan, were on pretty even footing coming into 2020. They're dealing with similar problems right now with some of their best players sitting out and then dealing with injuries and just not being able to get it together and, and look like a coherent uh, unit on either side of the ball. So it's it's not just in Ann Arbor. It's not just this staff. It's not just this team. But that doesn't make it acceptable, and it's not an excuse. It's just it, it is a headwind that everybody is trying to deal with. And right now, Michigan is not dealing with it very well. And, and again, to me, I think the main key is to really coach up and develop those guys down your, your depth chart because they're going to be more and more important. There are going to be other injuries. There are going to be other guys that, you know, that aren't performing. And it's, it's going to be a matter of who steps up and starts making plays on both sides of the ball. So it's a real challenge to this coaching staff and to those players that maybe right now aren't in the, uh, in the starting spot. But if you've got any, any idea of getting into the two deep, you better be ready to go and step in and make a play because those are the guys that are going to, they're going to have a lot to say about uh, Michigan's success through the middle of the season and, and through the next five regular season games, at least. I also wanted to highlight something that I saw the uh, Indiana offense do that I think poses particular problems for Don Brown's defense. Um, and and it's, it's one of the formations I really like. I really like that three-receiver stack that they run. Um, you know, Michigan at various times have run that, uh, depending on the coaching regime. And it's, it's really interesting, especially when you have a team like Michigan that is struggling with their secondary, to see how that formation distorts their offense, right? You could see the whole defense kind of like have to, have to morph itself to, uh, and warp itself to, to accommodate it. So um, I really like that formation. I hate to see that Indiana's running it, but um, I wouldn't be surprised to see teams run it more against Michigan because it, it definitely causes you some issues. Actually, um, the plays that I went and broke down because I, I do, you know, as, as a football geek, I get excited when I see that offense, um, when I see that formation. Uh, Indiana left some options on the field. They didn't need them. Um, I could see somebody breaking down the tape and and seeing uh, lots of things that that would expose um, the Michigan defense from that formation. So I'm sure that Don Brown is dialing that up. But that's the kind of thing you know. Uh, you know, when you're up in the booth or you're breaking down the game film, film you see that and you're like, oh man, there's all kinds of other things they could have done from that. And uh, you know, again, it, it's it's uh, uh, gives me pause. Um, the other thing that I thought was, you know, when you're looking at, you know, how this team turns things around, right? You got, we assume they're going to play Wisconsin. And again, you know, Wisconsin, uh, you know, typical Wisconsin team, right? Big, strong offensive linemen. Um, and fortunately, that is one of the strengths we thought the Michigan defense had is, is really good defensive linemen. So hopefully we're not going to see Wisconsin, um, you know, 
attack downfield as much. But who knows? I mean, after what we've seen early in the season, I think one of the points you made is this season is crazy, right? And we can look across the country. We can look across the Big Ten. There's all kinds of crazy things going on. Um, I don't bet because uh, I know better, right? I, I've seen crazy things. When I've been when I've been sure that something's going to happen it, and it doesn't happen, I, I've seen that enough to know that, that I'm not going to bet. But if you had um, offered me a bet that Penn State would be 0-3 at this point, I, I don't know who would have bet that. I don't know who would have predicted that. Um, and frankly, I don't think anybody would have predicted Michigan to be in the in the state that we're in. And, you know, crazy things happen. I think, um, you know, one of the things that, that needs to, to, you know, Michigan needs to do moving forward is, you know, they need to stop the bleeding, right? You need to come up big. They needed to come up big against Indiana, and they didn't. And, you know, here you, you have a, a home game, and we, we can debate how important that is, but you're going to have a home game at night, national audience. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, speculation swirling on what one and two does to your recruiting. Well, I can guarantee you it can get worse, okay? If they get blown out against Wisconsin uh, on, again, national uh national game tv at night it'll it can get worse so i think um you know what kind of changes would you like to see heading into the next game like first quarter end of the first quarter what would make you feel better you know of course ignoring the score what kind of things do you hope that the the michigan coaching staff is working on right now well i liked i liked that Don Brown adapted and put more zone coverage into the game plan to help clearly struggling. And, and what comes with that is, you know, uh, offenses play against zone defenses all the time, and they've got plays that, that are built to kind of sit down in the holes in zone coverage. And Michigan's not good at, at playing zone coverage as well as they were, you know, playing man coverage. Now, here's the difference. When a zone coverage gets beaten, it gets beaten for, you know, 12, 15. The whole idea is to kind of, you know, bend but don't break. Um, so that's the stop the bleeding measure that I think you, you're kind of talking about. They're they're doing that. And that, that does – it shows that they've I, they've admitted – the reality of the situation and, and they're only going to get better at disguising and actually executing those zone coverages. So what I'd like to see, honestly, at the end of the, you know, to answer your question, did they give up any plays longer than 25 yards? Did Michigan give up on defense, give up anything longer than 25 yards? If so, then you have not improved from week two. If, even if, even if Wisconsin has marched, right, whether it was on the ground or through the air, if they've marched and scored and whatever else, if you've at least, at least kept it in front of you and kind of leveraged things to the inside and gotten back to some of the fundamentals, and I don't see guys running behind your safeties, then I would say that you've improved because that's, that's where they've been the last two weeks. Um, and, and, you know, the coverage 
was better, as, as problematic as we've said, it was better against Indiana than it was against Michigan State. And that's, that's a really low bar to clear, but at least she cleared it. So um, it ain't good enough to win yet. And, you know, who knows what Wisconsin's going to have as they're battling, you know, a, a COVID outbreak. So if you're, if you're dealing with the third or fourth string quarterback against Wisconsin, guess what the game plan is going to be? Throw it up as quickly as possible. Get it out of his hands, right? Chuck and pray down the sidelines like we saw for, for Rocky Lombardi. So you're really going to have to make sure that you're not letting guys run free behind you. And if you're giving things up underneath and coming up and making tackles, then that might be a little bit frustrating, but it's not a death blow the same way as getting beat over the top. So here's when I knew we were in trouble, okay, against Indiana. They put a 96-yard drive together, okay? And you and I had talked about that, that Michigan State had had two insanely long drives, uh, you know, last week. So what I want to see is I want to see Michigan, you know, when they have the offense, the opposing offense pinned to stop them, okay? So, you know, if if we get through the first quarter next week and Wisconsin is able to put an 80- or 90-yard drive together and just keep driving down the field. Um, and, like, for example, uh, uh, this 96-yard drive, it was 12 plays, okay? It wasn't one 70-yard quick hitter. They just methodically moved down. So what I want to see is I want to see um, the Michigan defense stop somebody on third down. And, you know, if, if you know, again, because success begets success. And if they can, if they can find a rhythm, and, we keep, and I keep saying that they need to find a rhythm, right? They need to be successful. Um, you know, you start failing on third down, you give up, a, you start giving up long drives. I mean, I'm looking at these touchdown drives from Indiana. 74, 75, 96, 75. That's just brutal. Okay. That's, that's brutal. So I'm hoping that, um, you know, I, you know, honestly, the best thing that I, that I could predict that I'd love to see is I'd love to see it be zero, zero after the first quarter that, um, you know, the defense has, has kind of found its feet and, and I think the offense will get there, but, you know, I again, I feel good about the that the offense can find a way, um, but the defense, you know, the defense has been the strength of this team over the last, you know, some would say, you know, as long as Harbaugh, as soon as Harbaugh hired Don Brown, and and it needs to be the strength. It needs to to firm up. So that's what I'll be looking for after the first quarter next week. Yeah, and I just looked at that drive, that 96-yard drive. There were back-to-back plays that went 18 yards with Brad Hawkins in coverage and then 35 with Vincent Gray in coverage. So had they been able to avoid giving up those those huge chunks, you know, then that drive, again, it, it wasn't moving the chains in an 18-play 18, 18 grind it out. They needed that big chunk in order to be successful. So – um, those things go hand in hand for sure. And, you know, Clint, here's the thing. And we talked about this against Michigan State. Okay, think back to last year and the year before. If you had said the Michigan defense is going to take over 
right? Within the 10. Man, you're thinking that it's going to be three and out and uh, the offense is going to get the ball back and have great field position. Mm-hmm. And and to to have them just move down the field. Um, and again, you know, in, in a typical year, right, or typical situation, you know, if you pin the opposing offense inside the 10, you're already thinking about what plays you're going to call when you get the ball back. And to have them just drive down. Uh, and especially – you know, after we saw that twice against Michigan State, um, that 96-yard drive for me was the backbreaker. I mean, it was it was only in the second quarter, but but I was like, wow, this is this is problematic. So that's those are the things I'll be looking for as we uh, as we uh, um, tee up next week's game. Yep, yep, I'm I'm with you on that for sure. I, I again, I that's why I kind of calculated that average yards per drive that they're giving up. And that it is the biggest difference is that they're not getting that. Okay. You might've moved the chains once, but then they stop the other team and get the ball back. And then our punter is better than your punter. We're gaining a little bit every time, right? Those days are gone, right? It's, it'll be interesting to see if this program can morph to the, well, if we can't stop anybody, then we got to put 40 on the board and we'll see if, if they're going to start, trying to turn it into a track meet a little bit, um, especially if they can't protect uh, or, or run the ball with that offensive line. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, there, there are things to build on, but this is a good Wisconsin team coming in, that's for sure. You know what I was disappointed by, too, is, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to football that, that's actually pretty basic, right? Um, you run, you block, you tackle. So you have defense just coming at you, right? I, I would have liked to have seen more screens. Um, they did some passes out of the backfield. So I think to your point, it'll be interesting to see if, if, they, if, if the recognition is that the defense can't be as stout as it has been. You know, how do you transform the offense to, you know, do you turn it into a track meet? What do you do? You know, do you um, – you know, you just say, well, we got to outscore, right? Um, and so, again, it'll be interesting to see what, what they have dialed up for next game. Yeah, it's it, – I'll be tuned in. You know, I, I, I still I still care enough that I'm going to watch every play and make sure that we're, we're talking about it and measuring it, you know. But um, it's time to recalibrate expectations and figure out what we're zoomed in on. All right. I think that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.